0: <laughs> cool. <clears throat> hello, guys. So my name is Chenchi, and I'm from the Netherlands. Uh, and next year, I'm going to study medicine. Um, I'm eighteen so eighteen years old, and I'm chairing with Hilde um, the committee Afet.
1: Yes, and hello. My name is Hilde. I'm nineteen years old from Norway. Uh, I've just finished high school, and I now I have some time off before going to the military in January. And I'm also chairing Afet with Chenchi.
0: And we are now doing a Q&A about our topic, um, and it is about the Russia and Europe relations. Um, so Hilda, are you going to ask me questions?
1: Yeah, um, okay, let's start with the actors. Who is in play uh, in this well-known conflict?
0: That's a very good question. So there are many actors in place. Uh, for example, Russia and Europe are the key actors. There are also several companies and organizations and also countries outside of Europe who are affected. Um, You can think of Gazprom, which is a Russian majority state-owned multinational energy cooperation, so it is focused on gas. Um, And you can think of they do exploration of gas, the production of gas, uh, but also transport it and distribute it, and they generate power. Uh, And furthermore, we've got the Parliamentary Cooperation Committee, Um, abbreviated as PCC, and this serves as a stable platform for developing cooperation and dialogue between delegations from the European Parliament and the Russian Federal Assembly.
1: Okay, but there have been a lot of talk about a pipeline. What effect does the pipeline have on the relationship between Europe and Russia?
0: Yeah, so this pipeline, it is owned by uh, Gazprom. Gazprom has a huge influence on the pipeline. And given it is, uh, given that it is a state-owned company, um, Russia directly has a lot of influence on the pipeline as well. So what we have is there is a system of offshore natural gas pipelines in Europe, which runs from Russia to Germany, and that is called Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2. Um, so the two pipelines that is basically just a whole system and what it does is it transports Russian gas directly to Western Europe and it doesn't go through the Eastern European countries. And the majority stakeholder is of course Russia. Um, and there has been some controversy around this um, Nord stream. This is because uh, countries um, which are like they're concerned that the Kremlin will be able to exert, a lot of political influence on transit countries, and transit countries. These are the countries um, between the Western Western Europe and Russia, and they include, for example, Ukraine, Slova- uh, Slovakia, Czech Republic, and Poland. Um, and what happens is they are prevented from holding Russian gas supplies to Western Europe um, hostage, so their local political agendas. So normally they would have quite a lot of influence. Um, but now they do not have that influence anymore since the gas does not go through those countries. And also there is a lot of transit revenue as it re- and it reduces Russia's dependence on these countries.
1: Huh. And there have also been quite a few cyber attacks happening. What happened with them?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Um, let me start with a German example. So the European Union on Tuesday, the 22nd of October, 2020, um, imposed sanctions on two Russian officials and part of Russia's GRU military intelligence agency uh, because of a cyber attack against Germany parliament, the German parliament in 2015. Um, These attacks were targeted at the, they targeted the parliament's information system and affected its operation for several days. Um, a significant amount of data was stolen and email accounts of several um, MPs as well as the, the data of Chancellor Angela Merkel were affected. Um, so what happens is that the EU headquarters said in a statement that they have travel bans and asset freezes imposed on at least two men, um, namely Igor Kostyukov, which is the head of the main directorate of the general staff of the Russian armed forces and Dmitry Badin who is a military intelligence officer.
1: And were there any other cyber attacks conducted against other European countries?
0: Yes definitely we've got a lot of other examples for example um, Estonia, France, Georgia, Poland and Ukraine. These countries were also attacked and had some of their own software systems destroyed and information stolen.
1: Wow. And there have also been like a terrorist attack on the Czech Republic. What happened there?
0: Yes. So the Czech Republic um, accused Russia of staging a terrorist attack on its soil after blaming a 2014 blast at a munitions warehouse. And the same agents accused of poisoning a former spy, Sergei Skripal, in the UK which we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, And this explosion at the munitions warehouse, it killed two people. And also it forced the evacuation of hundreds more from the surrounding villages because they had to evacuate. And this caused tens of millions of dollars in damage.
1: Oh, and what were the consequences of the attack? How did the parties react?
0: So both sides expelled a record number of diplomats and the Czech Prime Minister Andrej Babis said Prague had shattered a network of Russian operatives and called the blast an unprecedented terrorist attack.
1: And was it later known if the attack was targeted or directed at anything particular?
0: Well, Czech authorities suspect them of trying to destroy export-bound munitions belonging to Bulgarian arm dealers, and believed the shipment was meant to explode after it left the country.
1: Oh, interesting. So,
0: yeah, exactly. Um, so, we're now going to talk about common spaces. Um, let's talk about the Ukraine conflict, shall we? The Ukraine, co- the Ukraine conflict, and the annexation of Crimea.
1: Yes, this is a very complicated but also very important conflict. Until 1954, Crimea belonged to the Russian part of the Soviet Union, and this it was decided in. Um, then it was decided that the peninsula was going to be a part of Ukraine, and when the Soviet Union was dissolved in 1991, Ukraine became an independent state. Uh, um, but they were still like um, had a relationship with a good relationship with Russia. And the result was accepted in Moscow, although most of the population in Crimea were so-called ethnic Russians. And as Ukraine borders with both the EU and Russia, it is a natural wish to be on good terms with both parts. Still, there are some different groups within the country with different interests. And it was this split that led to the annexation of Ukraine.
0: Oh, okay. Um, I heard that in 2014 the EU offered an association agreement with Ukraine, didn't they?
1: Indeed, yes. In uh, 2014, EU offered to have a so-called association agreement with Ukraine in response to Russia's plan of including Ukraine in their economic union, with such as Belarus and Kazakhstan. And EU's position, proposition pre- pre- preserved the president, Viktor Yanukovych, to choose a side. And Yanukovych signed with the agreement with Russia, a decision that was infuriated, that infuriated a big part of the populations, the population since they were split. And this led to a large protest in Kiev, resulting in the parliament deposing in uh, and the president, deposing the president in February of 2014.
0: And what was Russia's response and Russia's motivations?
1: Well, Russia responded by using military forces to take control over Crimea. This was also partly motivated by NATO's wish to have a military base on the peninsula. Um, and Russia also supported <clears throat> pro Russian rebels in East Ukraine. And Russia's actions in Crimea and East Ukraine have been viewed as a break of international law. Ukraine wanted to be a part of NATO, and therefore there was um, this was also a contributing factor for Russia to invade Crimea. As NATO does not welcome a nation currently in conflict, the chances of Russia pulling out of the peninsula anytime soon are very slim.
0: Okay, we're now going to talk about Sergei Skripal um, in the annual report from the Norwegian Intelligence Service. The focus is the continuous threat of foreign intelligence and influence activities, especially due to the parliamentary elections taking place in the autumn of 2021. Um, So how is Russia seen by the report?
1: Well, the report actually particularly mentions Russia as a large threat. Uh, Russia has carried out influence operation during elections in both Europe and the United States. This includes network operation, operations, reoperations, provocations, and coordinated spreading of disinformation. And since Norway has a border with uh, Russia, uh, there is um, always some kind of tension between the two parts. And such intelligence activities take place in all countries together, uh, a greater or lesser degree of information. In recent years, several cases of espionage have been uncovered, both from the Russian and European sites. And many countries also have spies and intermediaries for collecting information in different nations. And in May 2021, a Russian scientist in Germany was arrested for espionage. And there have also been many cases of spies in Russia, and for many of the Norwegian delegates, you probably know about bag He was uh, a retired border inspector that was arrested for espionage in Russia. And in 2021, the man that we have mentioned previously, Sergei Spripal, was poisoned and he served um, as he served as a double agent uh, for the British MI6. Okay.
0: okay. Let's, not ta- let's now talk about an individual, Alexei Navalny. Um, yeah, Alexei Navalny. Navalny is a Russian opposition leader, a lawyer and anti-corruption activist. He has been described as the man Putin fears the most by the Wall Street Journal due to his surprisingly high support in elections and social media. What's his story and how is he the man that Putin fears the most?
1: Well, Navalny is a very interesting person, I would say. He first ran for mayor in Moscow in 2013, but was imprisoned and sentenced for five years. He was eventually released on bail and did not win the election. He then continued to expose corruption throughout his YouTube channel, and this reached millions and sparked more rounds of protests. At the same time, Navalny ran for office again, and this time against Putin for president. The regime struck back and disqualified him based on previous embezzlement charges. So in 2020, Navalny found a way to take the whole electoral system, um, something called smart voting. There were multiple candidates against Putin, whereas none of them had a real chance of beating him. Therefore, Navalny encouraged the people to vote for only one of the um, so-called meaningless candidates. As some polls presented Navalny uh, as the second most popular uh, politician in Russia, Putin's uh, favorability ratings were decreasing due to a struggling economy, and that made Navalny a natural threat. And at the time, he was mysteriously poisoned, but surprisingly survived and continued his investigations against the regime.
0: And did he ever go back to Russia?
1: Yes. In uh, January 2021, he returned to Russia knowing that he would be arrested. You have probably seen the footage of him arriving at the, at, um, the airport and kissing his wife and then being imprisoned right away. And despite his arrest, he is continuously posted with vid- new videos, exposing Putin and the corruption, corrupt system. At the same time, Navalny was sentenced to two and a half years in prison due to a protest in 2014, a sentence that is condemned by the EU.
0: And this will be everything for now. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and that you've learned some things. Thank you for your attention.